Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Well, would you open up in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, several weeks ago, I planned to be a part of this sermon series, and now is my first time to be a part of this sermon series. And I'm thankful for, for uh, Mark teaching a couple weeks ago. I'm thankful for Tom jumping in last minute last week as we were home and um, not feeling the hottest. And so um, thank you guys for ministering to our church family with the scriptures. Uh, but I invite you to turn in your your copy of the scripture to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is, is a passage that comes after Ephesians 1 through 5. And that, that, that may seem to be like plain, um, but that's a bad joke too. Um, but, but that's one of those things that matters. Because in Ephesians, what's going on? One of the things that is going on in Ephesians, there's several things going on in Ephesians. But what, one of the things going on in Ephesians is Paul is essentially saying, here's who you once were darkened, separated from God, lost in your transgressions and sins, and here's what God has done through Jesus. And here's the new person that you are now. Several times it calls the hearers to stand, it calls the, the, the hearers, the believers, to put on Christ, to mark their life, not by who they once were, but by who God has made them to be by his grace. And so we come to the end of Ephesians, and one of the reasons I, I sense the leading for us to spend some time here is because there's, there's two principles that are, I think, helpful for us. Two truths to keep in mind. The first one is this. Every single one of us is engaged in a spiritual conflict. Every single one of us is engaged in a spiritual conflict. And the second thing is, is that God has given his people everything we need to stand. We're not called to retreat. We're not called to go attack the dark forces of evil. We're called to stand. We're called to resist the temptation to give into the things of the world, the flesh, and the adversary. Because as Mark talked about a couple weeks ago, when he looked at <clears throat> excuse me, when he looked at the reality of who we face, we are up against someone who is called in the scripture Satan, which is a Hebrew word that also can, could be translated adversary. Satan is the Hebrew or Satan is the Hebrew. Uh, it could be translated adversary. Elsewhere, um, the adversary is called a roaring lion seeking people to devour. He's called a deceiver. He's called an accuser of the brethren. And my friends, we struggle with our flesh, but we also struggle against the forces and the powers and the principalities of this present evil world. Now, all of these powers and forces have been conquered in a final sense by God but for now, we live in a world where we experience spiritual oppression, where we, where we experience um, temptation to do 
and to walk in a way not worthy of the calling that we have received. And I wanted to look at this passage because sometimes, I know at least maybe in my life, I either make too much of the spiritual battle, and it becomes, you see spirits everywhere, whatever, like, what is that? What is that? What is that? Or perhaps we don't see it enough. That there is still, even though the believer is secure, Scripture says that we are secure in our relationship with Jesus. There is no one, nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says in Romans. Even though that is a present reality, we still struggle against the powers of this world. Which is why at the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul gives some commands to the believers there in how to stand and in who to stand. And if I could say one thing to you, it would be this. The spiritual armor that God lays out in Ephesians chapter 6 is something, my friends, that we already have. It's something we already possess. And here is why. It's because we have Christ. Tom did a, a, a beautiful job last week about talking about how the, the, um, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the feet sandaled with the gospel of feet, peace, how they all find their source of power in Christ. We don't stand up in our own strength, in our own weapons and say, here we go. We stand in the power of Christ. And we need to remember this for our lives today. Um, when I was a kid, I remember uh, learning this song. Kids, maybe you know this one. I'm, I'm not going to sing it. I've sung a lot already this morning. My voice is kind of hanging on for a little bit more. But it goes like this. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. And I love that one because I got to go like this and I was like seven years old and I got to jump. And then I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. I've got some nods. Okay, y'all are quiet this morning. We got, we got just silent nods. Thank you for that. Yes, I love it. Um, <clears throat> I love that song because it reminds us, even from a little age, not that we're like being drafted into a military, but we have been called and redeemed and saved by a king who calls us into a relationship with him and calls us into service. He calls us into a walk after him. And that walk means, that walk looks like sometimes we're battling in very spiritual realms. And yet, the truth of the scripture is that Christ has given us all we need. With all that said, I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> I wanted to play a video for you today of this scripture reading, and I'll find another way to get it to as many of you as I can. Um, it's just a great scripture song on Ephesians chapter 6. But here is the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, like people. But but against the rulers and the, against the authorities and against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist 
righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Father, would you teach us by your spirit? Would you reveal to us the truth we need to walk humbly with you today? Thank you for leading us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Thank you for your presence among us. No matter how bright the day is or how dark the day is, God, you are here. We love you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, thank you. You may have a seat. Um, so this epistle was written, an epistle is basically kind of like an ancient letter. This was written by the Apostle Paul. And it says in the beginning of Ephesians, it says it's written to the believers at Ephesus. Now, some of your Bibles may also say, have like a footnote that says, at Ephesus is not in every manuscript. And that's, that's true. So um, here's how believers have typically understood the book of Ephesians. Many manuscripts say it's written to Ephesus. Um, but this is a letter that is written probably primarily to Ephesus or firstly to Ephesus. But this, much like many other letters that we find in the scripture, are letters that are shared amongst a community of churches. So <coughs> we have <coughs> Ephesus, we have uh, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, um, we have Sardis, we have Colossae, we have Hierapolis. All these cities are within the Asia Minor region that we've actually been looking at in the book of Revelation. But this letter is probably written first to Ephesus, and then it's going throughout all these churches because he wants them to know who they are in Christ. He wants them to be firmly grounded and secure in the truth of this. Uh, Paul ministered in Ephesus for about three years. And so one of the, re the, one of the other reasons why, why scholars think that it's primarily or firstly directed towards Ephesus, but directed elsewhere is a lot of times Paul will write something and he'll be like, oh, hey, and tell that person hi, and tell that person hi, and that person, that person, that's, and he's a little less descript or nondescript with that. He, he doesn't go through his whole litany of make sure you tell everyone and their mother, hello from me. Um, <clears throat> so that's one thing. Um, but what's amazing or interesting perhaps about Ephesus is Ephesus is a center in the ancient world for the magical arts. So when he's talking here in Ephesians chapter 6, you don't struggle against the flesh and blood, but you struggle against powers and principalities and all these things and the forces of the world. He's talking to a culture who knew what it was like to see the magical arts at, pl at play and on display in their cultural context. In fact, if you were to go back and look at Acts chapter 19, you'll find that a lot of the early believers that come to faith in Ephesus come out of backgrounds that have to do with sorcery and have to do with books of incantations. And there is a, there's a strong um, religious, ascetic, um, spiritual nature here that is not of God, but it is of the evil one. So he's writing to a place that knew well what it meant <coughs> to have magical spells. In fact, there was um, a group of letters called the Ephesian letters that were spells that were 
thought to contain power to ward off evil spirits. And so this is the background you have as a young believer growing up. And, and, and you grew up in a pagan context, largely in this case. And then you come to faith in Jesus the Messiah and you go, wow, this God is not just God over all the other things. He's God even over all of these powers and demons and spirits at work and at play in our world today. And the believers in Ephesus and throughout Asia Minor face great pressure to worship the gods of our culture. Now, we can translate this in a little, in, in a little bit of a way. Um, <clears throat> some cities that you go to in the United States, you drive in and pretty soon you see, oh, come to have your tarot card reading. Oh, hey, come to find your psychic this or that. There's engagement with things that are, are demonic and ungodly. Things like, like um, astrology and Ouija boards and other types of readings that have been largely normalized in a lot of American society. And it's to a world that is seeking to find revelation in something other than God. This world and that world that Jesus comes in and he says, you struggle against all these things. But his reminder to them is be strong. His command to them is resist, stand firm. And we're called to stand firm in Christ. A couple things to notice um, that I've wanted to share with you. And I've actually pared this down a little bit from what I wanted to share last week. <clears throat> Verse 10 says this, finally be strengthened by the Lord. Right? He doesn't say strengthen yourself. He doesn't say, go to your spouse and find strength. He doesn't even say, come to the community of believers and find strength. The first and foremost place that we always find spiritual strength is from the Lord. And the word Lord here is the word kurios. Can you say kurios? Kurios. There it is in Greek for you, if you care. It, be strengthened by the Lord. Kurios is a word that means one who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. Remember, these believers used to be under the power of sin. Now they come by the grace of God through faith. It is a gift, not from themselves. They can't boast about it, but they come into relationship with Jesus and they have a new Lord. They have a new owner in the best sense of that word. They have, they have a new person who possesses them in the best sense of that word. Because God doesn't just stay distant from them. He actually comes to live in and through them. So be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. He wants to make sure we know God's power is sufficient. Be strengthened by him and by his vast strength. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. Now, the word full armor here is a, the word panoplia. It's a fun word to say in Greek. And it it's refers to <coughs> the complete set of weaponry needed for spiritual battle. Complete. All right? God is not saying, be strengthened, put on my full armor, and oh, by the way, it'll almost make it. He's saying, put on the full armor of God. The complete set of what you need for spiritual battle. Put it on. It's already yours. Put it on. And it is with this that God's people are able to resist in the evil day. One scholar describes the evil day as a specific time 
when the enemy's attack comes with extraordinary power and temptation, to yield is exceptionally strong. Have you ever faced one of those days where you're struggling with something and you know it's not a, a Godward struggle? You know it's a struggle against maybe something that you used to struggle with? Maybe it's something in your thought life? Maybe it's a, a practice or a habit that had been developed throughout your, your time before you come to know Christ? In the evil day, we struggle against things. Paul acknowledges that there is a day, and probably more than one day, but there are times in our life where we experience certain amounts of spiritual attack and onslaught in our life. As I was losing my voice and getting a really bad cough last weekend that I couldn't stop coughing, I'm going, all right, Lord, is this the devil trying to keep me from going to church? I was like, well, I better stay home because I can't stop coughing. But, but you begin to overthink things like that. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's just a virus too. But many times in our lives, there are spiritual things that we struggle with or there are things that get put in our way. And we just have to go, all right, Lord, what's the next thing? And he says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the complete set of weaponry. Everything you need for spiritual battle, Jesus says, you already have. You already have. <coughs> See, in the armor that Pastor Tom started describing last week, um, this is the armor that you were to always have ready. Paul is writing this from prison. He, he's on a house chain, which basically means that he's awaiting um, Nero coming to him, and or Nero calling for him. Nero doesn't come to you. Nero calls for you. And <clears throat> this is around 61, 62 CE. And when you're on a house arrest or a, or a light chain, what you end up having is you have a Roman soldier, typically someone not terribly high, high up because they're guarding a prisoner. You're there and you have a Roman soldier with you. And at the moment when Nero says, I want to see so-and-so, you have a certain amount of time to get that prisoner there. Otherwise, you exchange his punishment and you become him. So Paul's writing this from essentially prison. And as he's looking at how to describe the complete armor of God, here's what I think he's doing. I think he's looking at this Roman guard who he's built a friendship with, and he's going, man, it's kind of like, man, you got a belt. And the belt's kind of like truth. And, and he begins, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to describe for the believer the kind of weaponry needed. So last week you looked at the belt, the singulum. It's on the, um, I've got it labeled here. I hope you can kind of read it. It's, it's a little ways away. It's, it's a smaller picture. You have the belt, you have the singulum. In, in um, Latin, that's how you, that's what it's called. You also have <coughs> the breastplate. This is a type of segmented breastplate. In the ancient times, you had three to four prominent ways that you would wear breastplate armor. You'd have the chain mail from like, we've seen in movies and stuff. You'd have the segmented ones. If you're really, really high up or you had lots of wealth, you'd have like a custom molded um, body armor piece. Um, and then you have the, the feet um, that are covered by boots. And what's interesting is that Rome was known for their ability to march many miles and to get places before other people even thought they could get there. And one of the reasons they could do that is because Rome outfitted them with boots. Uh, in, in leather sandals that would hold up. We're going to look at three different types of armor today. We're not going to go redo uh, all the great work Tom did with you last week. But what I want to look at today with you is this next section of armor in verse 16. 
It says in every situation, or, or you could translate that in everything or in all, taking up. <clears throat> so when we come to this, Paul seems to be describing there are certain times where you're going to need to not just always have this body armor on you ready, but there's going to be certain things you're going to need to take up. And there's certain things you're going to need to engage with within this battle. And the first one is this. He talks about in every situation, take up the shield of faith and with it, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield was an important part of a Roman soldier's arsenal. <clears throat> you can see a, a picture here. that's um, about four foot tall and they would carry this with them. It weighed like 20 to 30 pounds. Um, many times it was covered with leather in certain parts. And when they were going to go against a battle where they thought there might be flaming darts coming from the other side, what they would do is they would wet down that leather to hopefully more um, precisely or more quickly extinguish these arrows that would come in at them. The shield was a really, really important piece of armor because... It kept a soldier, and not just one soldier, but a group of soldiers protected from an onslaught, right? Like, especially from the things that come from a distance, like arrows. It says here, take up the shield of faith. So just imagine all the arrows spiritually that are flying these believers' way. Things like temptations, to not honor God with their bodies. Things like temptations to pursue power or money or, or to have the right image or to, to build a sense of worth on something other than Christ. All these things and more are subtle ways that the enemy lobs darts. You know you're really not worth that, right? You know that even if you do everything that's good, God still won't love you. Remember, the, one of the tools the adversary has, one of the foremost tools he has, is he's a deceiver. He will tell us anything in order to get us off of the truth of who God is and what God has done. The shield is a shield of faith. The, the idea of faith <coughs> in the Hebrew scripture is, it's a word that means faith. It means faithfulness. It means fidelity. I think I actually have that here. It means faith, faithfulness, fidelity. And the word is actually used several times in Ephesians. And it has both a, a belief, in other words, a, a mental or a mind component, but it also has an actionable trust component. Consider this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's a verse you guys know. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We come into the kingdom by grace, something we don't deserve. God's redemptive initiative on our behalf. We come in to the kingdom in relationship with God by grace through faith. It's a gift. We can't earn it. And so when Paul says, I want you to take up the shield of faith, he, he's pointing us back to, hang on a second, you didn't earn your way into the Christian life. You received it. You received it by an invitation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who said, let me send my son to die on the cross, to rise again. And by your trust in my death and my resurrection, you have life. 
And so when we're faced with attacks of the enemy, we can go, hang on a second. We are protected because our faith is not in this battle. Our faith is not in the things of this world. Our faith is in the one who has conquered death and the grave. There's a mental component to that. There's also a practical component to that. <clears throat> in the Greek culture, what you believe or what you think is what you are. In other words, um, in contrast, let me do it in contrast. In the Hebrew mind, what you do is what you believe. Does that make sense? Like for the Greek, what you think is what you believe. For the Hebrew, what you do is what you believe, which is why the letter of James in the New Testament, which is written primarily to a Jewish audience, says, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by what I do. James is trying to put two things together and it's helpful for us here. One of the ways we express our belief is through trust. When we take up a shield of faith, <coughs> there's a sense of we are standing in the finished work of Christ. And then there's a, a sense of we are trusting in Christ alone to meet what we need right here. But when you're faced with temptation, one of the hardest things to do is to say, yeah, I know that that's what Jesus said, but I really would rather, it'd be, it'd be more comfortable. I'd prefer if I went ahead and just compromised over here. Part of the shield of faith is the action of faithfulness. It's, it's walking out in practical terms what God has already declared and believing that God, you've said that, I will take that to the bank. To take up a shield of faith reminds us that we can't boast for anything that we ever do. But it also reminds us, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's masterpiece. We are created new in Christ so that he may do the things he planned for us long ago. God invites us not just into a passive journey with him. He invites us into a walk. What does it mean to take up the shield of faith? Maybe I could put it this way. Will we be people who take God at his word? We were um, <coughs> getting ready this morning, and there was a song playing. And um, the song lyrics go like this. They go, Jaira. You are enough. Jireh is a name for God. It's one of God's names in the Hebrew Bible. It says, Jireh, you are enough. I will be content in any circumstance. And I love that. And a friend of mine and I were talking about that a little bit this morning. But what I love next about that song, I just, I, I just love this song. The song's name is Jireh. You can go look it up later if you want. Is that they go into talking about um, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much, will he, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he clothe you? To have a shield of faith is to essentially put it down and say, God, here's what you've said. I'm not going to stand on my own truth. I'm not going to stand on my own conviction. I'm not going to stand on what I believe. I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to put my faith in your word. But here's one of the amazing things about shield of faith. In Roman practice, 
one of the things that Roman military soldiers were known for was battling together. Um, in fact, um, the smallest Roman um, group that you would ever find would be eight to 10 people. All right, it'd be eight to 10 people, and then it would just go on from there. Here you have, in this photo, this is a Roman soldier reenactment in Gerasa or, or Jerash. It's on the other side of the Dead Sea. And what they're demonstrating for you is something called a testudo, all right? A testudo. A testudo is kind of like a, like a tortoise shell, a turtle shell, if you will. You see <coughs> all the people on the front who are kneeled down. They have this four-foot shield, and they're down, and they're planted. They're, they're standing firmer. They're kneeling firm at this point. But the way the Roman military worked is that the next layer would then come behind them and they would hold their shield, not the same way, but they would hold it on top. And by doing this, it became a virtually impenetrable wall against people who would come after them. What I want you to see here is that the shield of faith is something that we individually are called to lift up, but it's something frankly, that we are called to lift up. There's a powerful sense of community, biblical community in the scripture, that when we stand together, we are much stronger against the forces and the struggles that we have in our lives. Think about a temptation or think about a uh, a struggle that you have spiritually in your walk right now, that God, or not that God, that, that, that you are tempted to find other ways to meet what you think you need other than Christ. One of the things I, I love about this picture <coughs> is <coughs> it reminds me, I'm a whole lot stronger when I'm not the only one going to battle. If you took a Roman military soldier with a sword and his armor and his shield, he'd be picked off in no time flat. But when the community comes together, they stand strong. In fact, textually, you could look at this this way. When it says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, the you there is a plural. Uh, in verse 12, it says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a plural. He talks about, you must take up the full armor in verse 13. That's a plural there. He, he comes to um, verse 14, with truth like a belt around your waist. That's a plural there. Um, all all the, the yous here, which English doesn't do a great job of indicating plural. All of these are, are plural. And one of the reasons they're plural is because he's writing to a community. But that's just the point. He's not writing to individual Christians who are on their own walk and they're separated from everyone else because it's just me and Jesus. Jesus is enough for the individual. But God has given us the powerful gift of community so that when one person rejoices, we're called to rejoice. And when one person struggles, we're called to struggle alongside them. Sometimes the church does this really, really well. Sometimes the church doesn't do this really, really well. Our call, though, as believers is to have a walk with God that is so strong here. Our faith is there. So when we see a brother or sister and they're struggling, you know what we do? We come alongside with an arm around their shoulder and we say, it's going to be okay. God is with us. Do you know what I'm talking about? For years now, 
I've had the incredible privilege, and this goes back before my time even in, in West Michigan, to be friends with believers. Believers who would come alongside me, certain ones of them, I, I have them in my mind, would come alongside and they'd notice that I'm down. And they can't be my Jesus for me. But what they can do is they can say, hey, God is still with us. It's okay. Keep going. We all need encouragers like that. Not only that, we all need to be encouragers like that. If you don't have that in your life, seek to be that in someone else's life. It's not an encouragement um, in vain because as we biblically encourage one another, we don't point them to our strength. We don't point them even to our strength. We point them to his. But there's moments in which we just need people to come alongside and say, I'm with you. I love you. It's going to be okay because God is with us. A couple questions for you about this one. The next two won't take as long. First question is this. Do you have people in your life, in your spiritual battles? With what you face today, do you have someone in your life, not who's going to tell you what you want to hear, but someone who's going to prayerfully and with God's help come alongside and say, here's the truth of God's word. Here's how I think this applies to us. How can I help walk with you as we seek to live this out? If you don't have someone, seek someone. Seek to be that someone for someone else today. If you're struggling with sin or temptation, don't do it alone. Isolation is never good for the Christian. Ever good for the Christian. Which also means you don't have to say everything to everyone, okay? That's the other truth. You don't have to spill everything to someone you don't know, all right? There's license for that. But you need to have a biblical, a, a, you need to have a strong believer in your life to help walk with you through what we call life. The second thing we want to look at, there's Roman military, all that kind of stuff. <coughs> we have the shield of faith. Now we have the helmet of salvation. You can notice from this helmet, which dates back to, I believe it's the second century um, AD, a, a lot of the Roman military helmets were made of iron, um, but they had bronze fittings at times. You can tell that there's a flap on either side to help protect anything that might come this way. There's also like a flat back there that would meet their, their breastplate armor on the backside so that if someone tried to come for their neck, they would have some protection there. <coughs> Literally, when it talks about helmet of salvation, in Greek it's perikephalia. That's a fun word. It means around. Peri means around. Kephale is Greek for head. It means around the head, or we might just say helmet, of Soterios, all right? Soterios means salvation. You could also uh, translate it deliverance. Um, he says, take the helmet <coughs> of salvation. Take it up. Now, on its plain face, the helmet of salvation, we have already received salvation from God from sin and death if we are children of God. If, if we believe Jesus died and rose again for our sins and our faith and our trust is in Jesus alone, 
we have that positional place before God. But here Paul is saying, I want you to take it up. I think there's two, <coughs> two ways we can understand this. Number one is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Re- remember what Christ has done already in your life. But remember, this isn't set in the context of you're going to be faced with times of distress and, and struggle in the Christian walk. And he says, I want you to take the helmet of salvation. I want you to take that thing that goes around your head. Salvation. Deliverance that goes around your head. I'm thankful to Brad Gray with Walking the Text for helping me understand this a little bit better. One of the things Brad says... <coughs> is that we're looking at things that go around our head. And one of the primary battle places in the believer's life is just that. It's, it's in our head. It's in our minds. See, when we come into relationship with Jesus, God gives us his spirit. We become new people in Christ. But we still have a mind that is in process of being sanctified. We, we as people are made holy. We are made righteous, Romans 6 says. When we were helpless, when when we couldn't do anything about it, we were made righteous by God. But Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. What he's saying is, present yourself to God. He says, (coughs) excuse me. He says, then present yourselves to God. And and let God do a um, transforming work, a renewing work in your minds. He says, so that you may be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. One of the primary battleground places for believers is in our minds. What begins with a thought then becomes a consideration, then becomes, and it just goes from there, until we can sometimes build up strongholds in our lives. One of the things God wants us to do is to have our minds more captivated by him than the things that surround us. Think for a moment um, of what you have watched, listened to, um, thought, read, um, engaged with over the last week. All of that involved your mind. And if Satan is a deceiver, guess where he's going to begin to deceive us? In our minds. I would argue one of the most important things for us as believers is to daily, and maybe even more than daily, come to God and say, God, would you renew my mind through your word and through your spirit? There's a lot of time that my mind spends thinking about all sorts of things once you go down one of those pathways, sometimes it's hard to catch your mind back. It's like, oh, no, catch up, catch up. God's solution for that is present yourself to God. Allow the truth of God's word to be something that renews you daily. To, to, To allow the spirit of God in a very active way yield your mind Say, God, I'm struggling with this. Would you show me what is true that I might apply truth in my mind to this issue? There was something I was struggling with earlier this year. And 
it, it manifested, there was an issue, but then it manifested itself in discouragement. This was several months ago. <clears throat> Wrestled through this for like a day. And, and I couldn't control the situation. And there was a certain amount of, uh, in the situation that I could do nothing about. Um, one of the things I will do from time to time, and I'm by, by far no, not perfect with this, is, is I'll come into this room when y'all aren't here, and I'll sit down at a piano, and I'll just start to sing with the piano. Uh, or I'll grab my guitar, and I'll start to play. Or I'll begin my day sometimes by putting on a couple of songs that help direct my mind. I'm a music guy, so it works for me. It may not work for you. But a couple of things that help direct my mind. Because when my mind wanders, it can go to the worst case scenarios that aren't even true. And next thing you know, I'm down over here and I got there because my mind was not presented to God. It was presented to the problems of the world first. <clears throat> Young people, think about this as you enter into school this week. You're going to be fed a lot of things in your mind. Think critically about what you hear. Test it in relation to God's word. Less younger people. We are also, our minds are presented with all sorts of things. Through right-wing publications, through left-wing publications, through center publications, through history, through all sorts of things. We can, presented with, we can be presented with things that in themselves are not determiners for truth. God is. God gives us his spirit to help lead and to guide us into truth. The renewing of our mind, we cannot renew our minds. God has to do that. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. To be transformed, man, that's a work of God. But the transformation comes and the renewal comes by saying, God, I want to learn the story according to you not according to someone else. And to engage with it intentionally and purposefully. With what do you engage with your mind? Maybe one of the areas that, that you need to pray through this week is to ask God to reveal what you're consuming and how it's affecting your mind. That you might present yourself to him and have his mind about things. The last thing, I'll do this quickly. We have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This kind of comes on the heels of what I just said. <clears throat> Transformation comes from God. And one of the gifts God has given us is his spirit who leads and guides us into truth. And then the other um, thing that he has given us is he's given us his word, which reflects his heart. One of the best things we can do is to know the text well enough in our minds that when we're faced with a temptation or a battle, we have a word, not from our own strength, but from God's word for that moment. Um, Jesus does this in Luke chapter four. He's, he's tempted in three different ways by the adversary who comes to him. He comes to him in a moment of weakness, which is one of those places when the adversary likes to come. He comes to a moment of weakness. He says, well, Jesus well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Every time Jesus responds with the word, 
Deuteronomy, actually. You know, the, the first one is, don't you know it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the, God, uh, mouth of the Lord. For us to be a people who, who go into battle is to be a people who know the word of God and who know how to apply truth to our context. Um, years ago, <clears throat> I was struggling with anxiety. So one of the verses that my wife and I have memorized from years of struggling with anxiety is do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why did I bother to memorize that? I bothered to memorize it because when I'm feeling anxious, I can be reminded, I don't have to be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because God is in control. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present my requests to God. In my anxiety, I can come to God and I can say, God, here's how I'm feeling. God, would you meet me here? And then the great promise, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I can't even begin to understand God's peace, but the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that will actually guard, like a Roman garrison, guard my, my mind. That's something we can pray, and we can pray God's word knowing that God will <coughs> honor the truth of his word in our life. Some of us today are walking through spiritual struggles. Maybe it's not anxiety for you. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a struggle with a certain sin. Maybe it's something else. Go to the text and find what God has already said about it. And stand in who you are in Christ and say, God, here is what you have said. I'm going to claim this over my life, not that over my life. And sometimes the lies that we are fed and the lies we believe are just so, mm, they're so close to the truth. But they're so far from it as well. I like what Klein Snodgrass says. He says, mention of the schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and subterfuge. That's just a fun word. Subterfuge by which evil and temptation present themselves in our lives. He says this. He says, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. Do you sense the struggle we're in? Much of our struggle is a baited and camouflaged trap. Those of you who are fishermen, you go out there, you throw the line in, you're hoping that that fish doesn't see the hook that's in that worm. And that's just what the adversary wants from us as well. I'll dangle this one out there. Maybe it'll look good and they won't realize that I'm actually going to try to take them down as far as I can, a path and a road that does not lead to life. Because there's always a hook with the adversary. Always a hook. Here's how those hooks work. We have thoughts. Thoughts become considerations. Considerations become temptations. <coughs> temptations can become choices. Choices become actions. Actions become habits. Habits result in strongholds. When we look at our lives, some of us are in spiritual strongholds right now. Some of us have habits right now. Some of us have actions right now. Some of us have made choices. Some of us have temptations. I show you this progression to show 
how quickly sometimes that moves. And yet, even if you are in a spiritual stronghold today, here's the hope of the gospel. You may be you, you may think that you're locked down and you're in some sort of stronghold and you can't get out. Jesus is a, is, a, is a jailbreaker, okay? He is one who comes in and he says, like he did to many of us, when we were lost in our transgressions and sins, when we were separated from God, he comes in and he goes, I know you're in the stronghold called sin. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna rescue and I'm gonna redeem. God wants to rescue and to redeem wherever you find yourself today. He wants you to find your joy in him. He wants you to know that you have every armor, weapon necessary in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you don't have that armor because you don't have Christ living in your life. And if that's you, I'd love to talk with you so that you know how you can be saved from your sin. You can be saved from eternity without God, how you can be given new life, not just for the future, but new life for today. But believers, if you're a follower of Jesus here and you find yourself somewhere here, bring along a godly brother or sister and say, here's what I'm struggling with. If you don't have one of those, contact us at the office. We will walk with you. We will help find someone for you in your life to walk with down the road that we all trod. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that we have all we need in Christ today. And God, I want to present myself to you. I don't want my life, Lord, to be driven by my own achievements and driven by my own desires and driven by my own The own ways that I think my needs will be supplied apart from you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for walking in our flesh. Forgive us for for all the ways in which we try to find life without you. And God, even as I say forgive us, I know that we are already forgiven. All of our sins, if we are in Christ, all of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. So God, restore fellowship with us today as we turn our hearts and our eyes towards you. God, bring conviction to our lives. Bring along godly brothers and sisters. Use us, Father, to be that godly brother or sister who comes alongside people in this world who are faced with really challenging temptations and struggles. God, help us to remind one another That if we are in Christ, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. We're no longer subject to the old way of life, but God, we need you to help us to walk in the new. Here we are, God. Minister to us exactly the way each of us need today, through the working of your Spirit. Do the transformative work, God, that that, that, that I can't do. Be glorified in our lives, Father. We pray for the sake of your glory and the sake of your great name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. 
If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.